Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hiring is challenging, and it used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter. In fact, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you cannot miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners here can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome back for episode 24 of the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. San Diego's number one sports podcast network. What are you, what are you doing over there? I, I was <laughs> in my mind debating if it was the 24th or 25th. I, up, I even wrote a note there that says, yeah, I updated it. All right. God, anyway. So, yeah, episode 24. On today's show, we're going to be talking trades because trades are super in vogue right now. Potters are in full trade mode. Really fun winter meetings so far. Would you say so? Agreed. Stuff's actually happening. Like the biggest signing of in pitcher history happened, and you heard about that. I heard about that. There's been a couple Potters trades, which were before the winter meetings, but right. Uh, Strasburg signed. Was that a winter meeting thing? Strasburg. I think it was like the, I think it was like the first day, or like very close to it. Okay. Anyway, there's been a lot going on. Uh, no more Mazzara got traded to the White Sox. Who? For Steel Walker. Former nice. second round pick. Nice name. It's a good. It's a good name. Steel. Blue steel. Like kids, either going to be a sports professional sports player or porn star. <laughs> Probably. Maybe. Why not both? Christian Yelich. <laughs> uh, so we got the Padres uh, trade scenarios that we're going to go over. I have, I think, four of them for Wade's perusal. Going to get into that. And then we've got an interview with Jason Collette. So he's a columnist at Rotowire, so you can read him there. He's also a podcaster at Fangraphs, so you can listen to him over there. And you can also listen to him here because he's going to be on our show. So looking forward to that. First, Wade, you got to read something for us? It's an exciting time for sports. Sophomore sensation Lamar Jackson is redefining what it means to be a dual threat QB. Oz on Jackson to win the MVP race are at a 50 to 1. We're We're at at a 50 to 1. There you go. To begin the season and have plummeted since, making my bookies pro prop selection. This is great. Start over. Keep it going, man. I'm not editing any of this out. It's an exciting time for sports. Sophomore sensation Lamar Jackson is redefining what it means to be a dual threat QB. I will cut this out because you already said Odds on Jackson to win the MVP race were at a 50 to 1 to beginning the season and have plummeted since. I just leave it all in. my bookie's prop selection more attractive than ever. Then on the 14th, we have one of the most stacked UFC cards in in a long time. Three championship fights, all highly anticipated, right in the betting capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. 
I'm familiar. Are you a UFC guy? I'm a, no, but I, I need to go to. I haven't been to Vegas in a long time. I need to go again. Huh. Without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on this action, and we have the best place for you to go, my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. Austin's all into that. That's all Austin does. My bookie loves parlay. Favorites parlays. Loves you to bet parlays so that you lose. I, I win parlays. Except for last week. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money that you play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again... Capital capital letters matter there? If it does, capital B, capital L, capital V. I wouldn't assume so. I would assume. I don't know. You never know. Once again, that's promo code BLV, capital letters, according to Ryan Hart. To get you extra cash for my bookie, bet, win, get paid, and then hopefully get laid while you're at it. Uh, new sponsor. So if you like the show, if you uh, dabble in gambling, which we do, clearly, uh, support us by supporting my bookie. All right, Wade. So let's get into these trade scenarios. Scenario, scenario. Which one do you like? Scenario, scenario. That's an American English way, I guess. So not the Queen's English. Queens, nice. Which of these trades? I think there's. What do we got here for you? I did all these. Uh, Uno, Dos, Trace. We got Quattro trades to talk about. Which of these? I mean, the idea behind these trade trades. Wades. Yeah, I mean, we got Wade. We got trades. It's trades. Which of these makes the Padres contenders or helps make them contenders for at least a wild card spot? Twenty twenty. 2021, 2023, over the next couple of years, because that's clearly what Preller has shown he wants to do is win and Ron Fowler, especially the the team's trying to win right now. So that's the motivation behind everything they've done so far at the winter meetings and before with the Luis Reyes trade and so forth. And I think that's the, the goal moving forward is to trade some of the prospect surplus to get major league baseball talent. So that's what we're doing. Before we get into these trades, I have a disclaimer. A lot of people get a lot of shit on the internet on some of these uh, trade scenarios. We got some for one of our last ones that where we were talking hypothetically about Charlie Blackman. So anyway, I still think that's a good trade. I would love Charlie Blackman. Actually, not anymore. Now that we got Fam. Yeah, yeah. Although both, I think, are left fielders in the long term. So Fam's not playing center, according to you? I don't think he is. No. So Margot's still in center, or Sterling Marte. Okay. Who who I actually had on one of these trades who I removed after the fam deal. But I think Starling Marte is still in the cards. Okay. They want a catcher. The Pirates want a catcher. So there's your, your bonus trade for the fifth. They're going to want either Mejia or Hedges, and I'm guessing Mejia. Okay, let's do that one right now. Would you trade Mejia straight up for Starling Marte? Yes. Okay. In a heartbeat. Probably not what it would take to get him. But um, would you include Mejia and like a couple other guys for Marte? I mean, depends on those guys. It does. So we're, we're not going to do that one because we didn't prep for that. But anyway – Future value, surplus value, like these things are thrown around a lot in trades and trade calculators and stuff. Um, there's one site that is commonly used across Pottery's Twitter. It's like Trade Value Calculator, which I think is a terrible website. Like I don't think anyone should be using it. Um, Bill Simmons just always uses that one, probably. But the thing with the, the thing with calculating future 
value and I guess current surplus values. Current current surplus value is very easy to do because um, one one win above replacement is roughly nine million dollars. And looking back at stats, um, according to Fangraphs and Baseball America, it's very easy to see uh, what players were worth above replacement. And then you assign that dollar value to how many wins above replacement they were. So a player who was one win above replacement is worth nine million dollars roughly. If he's on a rookie contract where he's making five hundred grand, your surplus value eight million five hundred thousand dollars. Pretty easy to calculate. So what ends up happening is there are two extremes where young players who are really good right away, Acuna, Tatis, Soto, playing on rookie deals, are providing extreme surplus value in one area for the teams that control them. And they're going to make surplus value at a very high rate up until they are arbitration eligible. Even then, they're probably providing still surplus value on those arbitration deals. On the other end, you have veteran players, older guys, the Manny Machado deal, the Eric Hosmer deal, where teams are paying them more than they're probably worth because they're veterans. And they are creating negative value through their contracts because the war does not equal the wins that they're producing or their, uh, the salary that they're making. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. So people that get upset about, you know, the, the salaries, um, or the, the values not lining up. That's how this works. You're getting value in one area and you're losing value in another area. And that's just how baseball works. The scouting departments and the front offices have their own departments to analyze and calculate future value anyway. So whatever you think it is, it's probably wrong. Um, it's all projections two, three, four years down the line. Math might think it knows what a player is going to value is going to be in three years, but math is wrong. Math doesn't know that it like, it thinks it does, but it's, it doesn't. Okay. Both teams need to feel like they won the trade. Yeah. As well. And some teams acknowledge like, Hey, maybe we, we had to overpay to get this thing that we think we need to win. That happens right. in trades all the time too. So all that being said, Maybe the the values according to this, whatever calculator you're using online, don't exactly add up. It doesn't matter because some teams win trades, some teams lose trades, some teams do it for just a salary dump. Some teams are doing it um, in order to compete right now. Some teams are looking six years down the line. Anyway, first deal. Some teams like the Padres love Xavier Edwards. Some teams like the Devil Rays, Blake Snell. The Devil Rays. Again, you're still going Devil Rays? There's- I mean, they'll always be the devil rays to me. Fine. Just move on. Like Blake Snell. <laughs> Voice cracks some more. Like Blake Snell. Yeah. Think he's a scrub. Or what did he call him? Slap dick hitter. Slap dick hitter. How does Renfro feel about that too? Because he's just like, for Renfro and some slap dick prospect. Renfro's probably like, all right. <laughs> Blake Snell knows who I am. I know. The way he said Renfro, I'd be pretty <laughs> pissed off if I was Renfro. So here's the first deal. It's the biggest one. Most players, most money involved. A lot of moving pieces here. You're going to like this first part. The Potters are trading Will Myers. Yes. <laughs> Ronald Bolaños, who we saw come up for a cup of coffee last year. He's a solid possible back-end rotation guy, bullpen guy. I kind of liked him. Luis Patino. That's the one that hurts. So he's the, the second best prospect pretty much according to everyone. He is going to add a lot of surplus value when he arrives to whatever club he comes up with. He's only 19. I don't think he's going to be up next year, but when he does come up six years of control for a pitcher, that's a mid rotation guy for at least the first few years and potential for better. Like mid rotation guys we're seeing go for like 15, $12 million on the open market. So right. if he's providing that as a guy on a rookie contract and potentially can he be even better than that? That's a lot of saved found money. A lot of ifs though as well. 
Also, a lot of yeah, he's a prospect. That's why another reason I don't like these trade value things for prospects, especially because you really don't you don't fucking know what the guy's going to do. He could be nothing. Right. That's that's the risk. It's a gamble. So Myers, Patino, Bolaños, four, David Price, Andrew Benintendi, and the Red Sox are going to eat thirty million dollars of Price's deal. So Price has three years left, ninety six million dollars. I, I have the Red Sox eating thirty of it. Myers, three years, $60 million going back to Boston. That's the big money stuff. Benintendi is making $4.9 million in 2020. Then two years of arbitration where he's eligible for a little bump in salary. So we're going to say three years, $35 million. That's going to be $15 million each year of arbitration. And it could be less than that or it could be more. He was on the downside last year, and which is kind of one of the reasons why I think the Red Sox would be willing to listen to him now is because he had kind of a down year. Padres would be eating $41 million over the next three years. So all those players involved, Padres eating $40 million over three years. It's not that much money for a team that has now decided it's going to spend. What do you think of that deal? I like the fact that we're getting rid of Will Myers. Ronald Bolaños is just a whatever player. Luis Patino hurts. I'm not sure Price is the guy we need, though. No, he's not, but he's the he's the guy that the Red Sox would want to send back to help with money. And I don't think they really want to pay the David Price contract either. So it's like they're they're getting rid of David Price. They're getting Will Myers. He can probably play first base for them a little bit. Corner outfield, hope for a bounce back. David Price, they're still paying a ton of money. Price has never really been a locker room guy. And it's like if we're trying to teach – I don't think Machado's a locker room guy either. But if we're trying to teach these young pitchers – Good Hosmer. Know, He's the but locker the pitchers, room guy. We're talking strictly pitching. Style. Kirby Yates. Got plenty of locker room guys. We need a starter. Yeah. That's, who's been there, done that. That's David. David that's definitely David Price. I don't know. He's not my guy. Okay. Well, so you're saying if you're the Padres, you don't, you don't want to do this deal. You're getting the starting pitcher back. You're getting rid of Will Myers. Your concerns are David Price's hatred of like Dennis Eckersley and other stuff. Yeah, locker room stuff. You don't yeah. you don't think he would mesh in well with the clubhouse? I don't think he'd teach the young guys what they need to be taught. Okay, that's fair enough. But Ben Intendi in one of the corner outfields. Now it's a really athletic, young, dynamic outfield, potentially with uh, Grisham, Fam. Well, Fam's older, but Grisham and Ben Intendi in the corners. Ben Intendi could still be really good. I agree, but he's shown flashes. He's not a center fielder. No, but you have you, you like Fam in center field. Fam could pass as center field. Okay. Grisham could pass. I mean, I can see the Potters actually doing this. Okay. Second one, moving on. This is bigger. Or not bigger, but uh, uh, one big name coming back for the Potters. So the Potters will be trading Taylor Trammell. No. Who I have ranked as the number four prospect in the system, along with Joey Cantillo. Hawaiian Punch. Who I have ranked as the number 14. Again, those rankings are not out yet, but he's the 14th ranked prospect in the system. For Chris Bryant, hometown hero, do you think that's enough to kick to get Chris Bryant? Because this is this is hard to do. I don't know how the Cubs are valuing him. How much do they really want to move him? He's not making a ton of money. He's making good money. He's making eighteen million dollars this year. He's got an, another year of arbitration eligibility next year. So that's basically two years, forty million dollars. That's a good deal for a former NL MVP. But Taylor Trammell, definitely lots of value there. Had a bad year last year. What do the Cubs value Trammell at? Cantillo is just kind of a, a back-end starter piece that they can probably get some value out of. I mean, those guys are still valuable too. Do you think the Cubs would even consider this deal? I think the Cubs are broke right now. 
So I think the Cubs need to get rid of some salary. And in this deal, I have the Padres just eating all the, the money. They'd be getting Chris Bryant and then pay, taking all the salary in it. So they'd be taking $40 million over the next two years. And I'm not saying do all of these trades. I'm saying pick one. So do you like this deal more than the last one? To just to get Chris the Bryant. The problem is where is Chris Bryant playing? He's going to play in left field almost exclusively. Or against tough lefties, you sit Hosmer, he goes to first base and can, pl- and can play a passable first base. I like this trade more than the other trade. Okay. Do you think the Cubs would do it though? So Taylor Trammell is going to have six years of control. He's roughly, I'm thinking, it's again, it's very hard to project what these guys are going to do once they come up. But Trammell, who's probably ready at some point this upcoming season and definitely ready a year from now. I'm thinking a one, two year, two win player for the first few years and then potentially two, three wins the, the next few years through his arbitration years. I could see the Cubs doing this just because the owner just said that the Cubs have way overspent and he overspent on stadium renovations. Hmm. So they need money. And they have to make some decisions. They've got uh, Anthony Rizzo, who they need to pay, although they've said kind of publicly they're not going to work on a new deal for him yet. They've got Wilson Contreras, who's also been talked about being traded. Uh, Javi. Oh, yeah. Javier Baez is going to be the one that they probably end up for sure paying. And then there's like not a whole lot else that they can do. So if they don't have the money right now to – they're listening for Chris Bryant. And that's – I think that's – I think the the vultures are circling now. Once you hear Chris Bryant's name, he's – again, if he hadn't been having the last couple of years be down seasons for him, I don't think the Cubs are – publicly talking about Chris Bryant, but because he's been a little, not what they expected, not, a, not the star hit like 280, hitting 29, 30 home runs. That's a very good player. It's not the star that he was, the, you know, when he came up and won Projected an MVP. To be. Yeah. He, we won an MVP. He's not hitting the 40 home runs that we all thought he was. He yeah. had like an 80 grade power coming out of the minors. You I can see the it. Phillies way overspending for him though. I don't think the Phillies have really, well, I guess they could like build a deal around Alec Baum. Uh, maybe throw Scott Kingery in there, who's uh, major league talent and has years of control left. Because him and Harper are boys. Yeah, I Harper don't, has always said he wants to play with Chris Bryant. They just spent a ton of money on Zach Wheeler. Do you think they're and, and then who else did they just get? Didi Gregorius. Do they have the money to go out and pay, afford to pay? Maybe they have to send someone back to Chicago to help make these salaries work. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, you like that one more? I do. Um, I think I do too. I think I'd rather have Chris Bryant. Third deal. Potteries trade. Zach Davies, who they just got. I'm not in love with him. Luis Patino again. And Austin Hedges for Noah Syndergaard. What do you think? Was Syndergaard getting paid? Is it not in there? 9.9 million. Yeah, it is. Then arbitration eligible in 2021. Yeah, Syndergaard's going to make $10 million this season. So we have two years of control of him? Two years. And I don't know. He he was on Fangrass. He was roughly a four-win player. I think we could even get – the Mets have publicly said this, which I thought was the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. The Mets were afraid of trading him to teams like the Yankees and the Astros because they thought they could get more out of Syndergaard than what they were getting. And that's kind of one of the reasons they didn't trade him is because they didn't want to get fleeced on a deal. So two Scared years of money Syn- don't make money. Two yeah. years of Syndergaard. I think the, he would be much better in San Diego than he is in New York. I like that trade. So far, that's my favorite. It's not a ton of money. So comparison, Paddock was a two and a half F four player last year. It's about a little, I mean, a, a win and a half less than Syndergaard. Um, I think a lot of it's calculated on on innings. How 
a, how long a pitcher can pitch per game. And then also his longevity over the season. Does he stay healthy? Does he make 180 innings? Does he make 200 innings? I think that, and that makes your, cause like you see player pitchers that are like an ERA around four have like two, three wins above replacement. It's just because they were able to pitch. Right. Pitching's tough. Um, he, he doesn't really have a, a bat, a history of injuries like some of these other guys. Um, Steven Strasburg, who I'm thinking of, I think for me, this is the deal I most want to happen also. So you lose Zach Davies, who means nothing to me. You replace him with Noah Syndergaard, who's a true ace. And I think immediately steps in is the ace, the leader of the pitching staff. Um, Luis Patino is a, a tragic casualty of this deal. He's a, he's a stud prospect, but he's 19. He's not going to help the Padres in the next couple of years. Right. We got to give something away to get something. He's not. I, I like him just as much as anybody else, but he's not going to help the team win in two years. And we have Gore. Yeah. Hedges. Positive win player last year. People forget this. He was, was actually, he? yeah, he created value. With, should have been gold glove. Absolutely should have been a gold glove winner. <laughs> um, I don't know what the Mets front office thinks of the all glove first catcher, but maybe he helps their pitching stuff out in return. So we get their best pitcher back. They've already lost Zach Wheeler. So I also don't know how much they'd be willing to lose another guy. No right. center guard. So that, that's, that part of it's really tough, but they're getting Zach Davies. They're getting a stud defensive catcher, the best in baseball. They're getting an absolute stud pitching prospect in return. I think they have to listen to that seriously and run run their system, run their numbers through through everything. Okay. It so, might even be an overpay on our side. But again, I don't really care because we're trading stuff that's not going to help us win now. In the, in the next in the next few years. Right. We win the deal short term. The Mets might win the deal long term. And we know Preller is trading for his job right now. So that's a move he would make. Definitely. Feel free to send your awful tweets at Friar Farmhands for how much <laughs> you hate these deals. Last one. This one has been kind of fresh in a lot of people's minds because I, I've been watching the winter meetings. Um, good coverage so far. And they've been, they've been, they brought on a Dayton Moore, GM of the Kansas City Royals, and they were asking him, of course, about Whit Merrifield because I think Whit Merrifield is pretty much all the Royals have to offer at this point. And as a as one of the worst teams in the American League, a team that's going to challenge for 100 losses again uh, next season, uh, they should be trading Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield is a second baseman who would come in and be like our starter right away. He's a well above average second baseman, all star caliber second baseman. A little bit older though, and that's kind of the reason why I think you hesitate here. But just got Tommy Pham. He's a little bit older too. How old is he? He's 31. Okay. Uh, just signed a really team-friendly four-year, $16 million deal last season, which is kicking in this year. So you have four years of control on him. And I think last year he was a 2.9, so I was right in the ballpark there, uh, F4 player. The year before, he was a 5.2 F4 player. So that's kind of when he exploded on the scene. He's not going to do that again. I think that was his career year. I don't even think he's really a three-war player going forward. Um, speed is a big part of his game, and I think you're going to slowly see it start to decline he had 45 stolen bases two years ago. He had 20 last year. But a little power, a little speed, plays a good second base. Dude can hit, can flat out hit. He's been he's led the league, uh, the American League in hits um, before. He plays all his games. He stays healthy. Doesn't strike out. 17% strikeout rate. Doesn't really walk either. Has a high BABIP, but that's because he's always had a high BABIP. So that's not something I'm worried about. He's going to challenge 300 
every year and he's going to have a, a, an on base around 350, 360. That's just kind of the player he is, which I think would be fantastic at the top of our lineup, table setting him, fam, for Machado, Tatis, etc. Okay. So, where did, do you know where he went to college? South Carolina. The real USC? <laughs> nice little USC dig there. But he, he solves second base. We've been trying to solve second base for how many years now? And he solves the second base. He's, so then what do you do with Profar? He's your utility guy. He okay. plays second base. He plays corner outfield. He's a switch hitter. So you find room for him in the lineup when you need it to be. There's injuries. There's pinch hitting opportunities. There's plenty of time for plenty of room for him in the lineup. Okay. Um, so what did we trade for Whitmerfield? Didn't even get into that yet. How about Adrian Morihone? Fine. Is that, that's not too much for you. No. So for me, Morihone is a top six ish prospect in the system. Xavier Edwards is gone now. So he's probably top five prospect. And I think that should be enough. It's six years of control for Adrian. Who's 22. Uh, it's four years of control for Whitmerfield. Who's providing, you know, two win, you know, two wins above average or two wins above replacement right now. Morihone, I think has that same capability. One, two wins above replacement for the first few years while he's starting. And then the back, the next three years, he's hopefully providing maybe a little bit more as a mid rotation starter for Kansas city. Again, there's the, there's the surplus value discrepancy. Um, the Padres win short term, the Royals win it long-term. That's how this deal is going to work Wit getting about $12 million in surplus value. So he's only making, um, you know, on average $4 million. He's providing value on his contract. It's about $12 million. Morihone is with those one win years, those first three years of the deal where he's providing one win above replacement. That's about $9 million of value. So he has those two extra years of control. That's the difference in this deal. He's more years of control. He's still really cheap and he's getting better going into his prime. Whit Merrifield is theoretically on the, on the decline, even though he's kind of been a late bloomer. Um, his, his best years have been, you know, 29 and 30, but how long is that going to go on? Is a speed first second baseman who relies on a high BABIP who relies on stolen bases for value. I think this is a, a good deal for Kansas city getting a, a top. See, that's, I don't know if Kansas city would do this. I don't know if they would either. They, they really like Whit Merrifield. He's ownership really likes him. Fans really like him. He's all they have. And if he's, if it's not a bad contract, which it isn't, then they probably hold out for more. Right. I think they want more. Well, then I think you throw in maybe another prospect in the back end of the top 30. And Can I don't, well, no, he's, I have him ranked in the top 15. Um, if they like, see, ask them who they like in the, in the top, in the back half of our top 30. And then maybe you add someone like a uh, Mason Thompson, or you add someone like a uh, Josh Mears or someone, someone much younger who they can maybe build around, um, you know, five, six years from now. But I think Morihone for Merrifield should be enough. I just don't think necessarily the Royals would bite at that. And I think you agree. Yes. That trade, I mean, it just. It's just a mad trade. It doesn't really move the needle for me. You don't you don't like Merrifield playing second base? I mean, it's fine. I I don't think it's needed. Okay. Well, he's a guy that hits 300. Like, you know how rare that is? Only like 20, 30 guys do that every year. Table setter guy gets on base 36% of the time. Him and Fam at the top of the order. Now there's always guys on base for Tatis and Machado and Hosmer, unfortunately. Um, I think that makes a big difference at the top of the lineup. Okay. I'd be okay with it. Okay. And we need a second baseman. Anyway, 
Those are the deals. Which one's your favorite? Definitely the Syndergaard trade. You like the Syndergaard trade? Yeah. So pitching for, for me, pitching has been a priority. We need a pitcher. You need a, you need a frontline right. pitcher. That's, and Someone's going to teach the young guys. This is the only way to do it. I think it's to go get Noah Syndergaard, have him for two years. Um, we're potentially getting Mackenzie Gore, I think, called up late this season. I think he's good Maybe enough to get called up. Maybe even beginning. Uh, we'll see. Little Paddock. But he's much younger than Paddock was at the time. Paddock was pretty much ready in his development to come up. And I think Gore still has a little bit to go. But he could earn it. Like there's no Shows reason. Shows up in spring spring training, just killing people. Blows everyone away. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing is that the Padres already kind of have five starters. I think it's going to take an injury, and if he's performing really well, then I think he gets the call up. Okay. But by next year, I think you could totally see a Syndergaard, Paddock, Gore rotation, and that's that's some kind of ass. All right. Yeah. I mean, of the trades, Syndergaard, book it. What do you think about Potter's getting Bumgarner? Bumgarner? Yeah. Bumgarner? Mad Bum. Um, I, as you know me, I don't like to. I don't want to pay for pitching. He's going to want a hundred plus million dollars. They've already said that. I think. He wants that much. Yeah. Okay. And what? He's thirty-one, thirty. I just think he would he's be thirty. So perfect to teach Paddock. You want five years, one hundred and twenty-five million dollars? I think he would take Paddock to the next level. Him and Paddock are like kind of the same person. Potentially. And yeah, he wouldn't be as much of an asshole if he's on, I mean, on our team. Right. And he's won a World Series himself. He'd be our asshole now. Right. Kind of like Machado. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with Bumgarner. It's just I would be very happy if the Potters went out. And you want to commit five years, hundred and twenty five million to him? I mean it's not my money, so sure. <laughs> I I'd, I'll pass. Okay. I would although, be very happy. Although, if they have the money, and I don't know, it just if can they get rid of Myers too somehow in a deal somewhere where they're freeing up a lot of cash, then yeah, the thing, let, yeah, then let's go all in and get Bumgarner. And he's still, I think he people forget how young he is, thirty years old. I think he still has a lot of tread on the tires. He didn't pitch a ton over the last couple of years because the, the Giants had been so bad, and he had the that non baseball related injury where he was doing some what was like a. Tr- Motor He's bike. the exact guy that can come in and teach the young pitchers, this is how you do it. He's the guy, you know, yelling fuck you to the other team. You got to love that guy on your team. I'm, yeah. I lo- if he's on my team, I love that guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd be okay with it. it. all. I mean, a lot of other factors just depend, but I, I would welcome him um, with open arms. Before we get to our interview with Jason Collette, Wade, we got a second sponsor. What? Yeah. Are we making money now? No. <laughs> Eightsleep.com. Let's talk about sleep for a second. Listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. Wade, we need eight hours of sleep every night. One of sleep's biggest problems, temperature. It's tough to get good sleep if you're too hot. I want to tell you about the pod by eight sleep. The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. It learns. That means if you like the bed cool, your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. 
Try the pod for 100 nights. If you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a pickup. We won't, I mean, we won't do that, but they will do that. They already sold out of their first two batches, so they're going fast. For a limited time, get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash pro. That's 8-E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro. You said it was researched by John Hopkins, right? Johnny Hopkins. Do you know Johnny Hopkins? Yeah, I used to smoke pot with him and Sloan Kettering. <laughs> know exactly where you're going with that. <laughs> so uh, let's do it real quick. We're not real quick. Let's do the interview with Jason Collette from Rotowire slash Fangraphs. So welcome in Jason Collette, columnist for Rotowire, podcaster for Fangraphs, fantasy guru, if you will. Jason, thank you so much for taking some time tonight. How have you been enjoying the winter meetings? Uh, it's been active. I wish, you know, we were talking off air. I wish I had the time to go there. Uh, you know, my 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 day job was has been extremely busy. Uh, there are many of the past winter meetings I've gone to. I regret not going to this one, given all the activity that was there this time. I uh, feel a little jealous. Uh, for those people who follow me on Twitter, you know, San Diego and I have a bit of a history this year. So maybe it's a good thing that I was not uh, in the city for the second time this year because the last time it literally beat me up. So I uh, just had to admire the winter meetings from afar and and, and, uh, and watch some of my friends on Twitter uh, talking about how awesome the story was while I was at the grind working uh, working here behind the desk. There's no shame, Jason. Not everybody can handle San Diego. It's it's not for everybody, <laughs> especially scooters. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, they're a menace to society. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Um, so first things first, we're going to dive right into this. The Padres have been really active so far this offseason. Kind of everybody's been active at the winter meetings. It's been a weird winter meetings. I'm not used to this anymore. Um, already making two pretty significant trades. Rival executives, for what it's worth, have kind of said like they think they're the Padres have been doing well on these deals. Um, don't know how much we can actually believe that. But of all the players that you've seen going back to San Diego, whether it's Profar or Zach Davies or even Jake Cronenworth, maybe Trent Grisham, Who's someone that you've seen as a big upgrade or someone that you like in general from a fantasy perspective for next year? Someone that you're excited to see get more stable playing time? Yeah, just as a as a whole, you know, with the with, the, with San Diego last year, they were close uh, and they just really puttered out in the second half. I mean, there were there were some people calling for them to be a sneaky team uh, to get into postseason last year. And it felt like early on that may happen. And then they just puttered out. Yeah, they were 500 uh, at the All-Star break. Yeah, uh, they were exceeding expectations. You saw there's a lot of talent in the roster. I mean, as a guy who lives on the East Coast, when I stay up and watch late night baseball, this was one of the teams I tuned into, mainly because I just love Franchi Cordero. Uh, and so I needed to see him uh, hit That's as much as possible. Uh, and, if, you know, if, even then when they traded Framil Reyes, I'm like, no. I love the Franimal. I went to, uh, I actually went to when I was in San Diego in May. I went to a game and it predicted a Franimal home run. We were, I uh, had taken some colleagues out to a game. They'd all been promoted, uh, got some really nice seats, and we were in one of those bars uh, in the club area. And I was like, hold on, I got to walk out and see Franimal hit a home run. Stepped outside, he hit a home run. It's pretty cool. Uh, (laughs) My colleagues were like, wow, how did you predict that? I'm like, well, the guy's massive. He's going to hit home runs. but the uh, you know the other so the piece of it here is you know, the forty man roster was getting super crowded. I mean they were the top system in baseball uh, heading into last year, and they had a lot of talent. So you you should have been able to see 
this kind of movement coming. They have all that talent. You're this close to being a contender. Start leveraging some of that talent to move it around. I mean, I, I really like what they did here uh, just because you look at last year, the Padres were 26th and on base percentage. So that's really what killed them offensively last year is they could get you know, they could score runs, but just keeping the train moving, that's where they struggled. And so from a skill level, I love the additions of Tommy Pham and Trent Grisham because both of those guys uh, can uh, will accept their walks and get on base and move around the bases. I think Padres fans uh, and fantasy players will really enjoy Tommy Pham there. You saw him last year uh, in Tampa Bay really come into a zone with more playing time, playing around some injuries. Um, but he is exactly what the Padres need at the top of that lineup. Uh, yeah, if if uh, if Grisham can prove he can handle major league hitting on a consistent basis, having those two at the top and allowing Tatis to move down a little bit and just have everybody else move down a spot would be really nice. But now this is a deep lineup, one to eight, since pitchers unfortunately have to hit. I mean, this is a this is a deep lineup, one eight. At peak, there's not a weak spot in this lineup. I don't think. I, I tweeted this out the other day, um, just noticing who they've been kind of targeting lately. They're still on Whit Merrifield. They're still on Starling Marte, um, at least in the conversation, uh, from a conversation standpoint. I, I don't see a lot of thump in the lineup yet. I think Tatis is going to get there eventually. Um, Machado definitely is their their best overall hitter, I think. Um, power average once he dedicates himself to a full season. Um I see a lot of like one and two hitters. I see a lot of five, six hitters and yeah, it's really deep, but I don't see like that stud uh, cleanup hitter that, you know, a, a great offenses all do have those kind of players. Um, do you think they're missing a piece? Do you think Chris Bryant would be a good addition? Is there anything, um, anything else they can do this winter that you think would help them get that extra thing to push them over the top? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you got to give it a chance with the on base uh, thing because a, a cleanup hitter is all about opportunity. And mm -hmm. if you can, if you look at just about everybody hits better with runners on base. Uh, and your number three or your number four hitter, if they're hitting with nobody on base, they're going to struggle. But if you can get a couple of guys on uh, in your top uh, one two spots with a three fifty plus on base percentage, all of a sudden Manny Machado is coming up with guys on base and he's able to see better pitches and he can t hit more doubles and do what he can with the home runs. Uh, and then, or if he uh, falters, then you got Hosmer. I would prefer somebody better than Hosmer in the cleanup spot, like move and move him down. But if you can find a spot for Bryant, uh, wiggle some things around. Uh, you know, obviously, if the DH was in play, it makes things a lot easier. Not in play uh, for all but 15 games for the Padres or 12, 11 to 15 games, whatever it is. Uh, that's really the problem. So, I mean, honestly. I do like what they're doing overall. I mean, the the starting pitching, if everybody stays healthy, that's uh, really the issue uh, there. Uh, but hitting-wise, it could use another bat, but I think they're good enough with what they have if people can yeah, – if, if the on-base thing really works out, I think you could see the offense take off because of it. You bring up Hosmer, and him in the cleanup spot or in the fifth hole with guys on base terrifies me because does he still have a negative launch angle? I mean – Talk about it's a RBI opportunities. It's gonna be more. It's gonna be more double play opportunities with Hosmer. Yeah, um, I'm notoriously an anti-Hosmer guy. But uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, for me, losing Xavier Edwards hurts the most. And I know we, we talked a little bit before the show started. Um, you're not the you're not the biggest prospect guy, but I'm sure um, you, you've done some work with Tampa Bay in the past. Uh, you, you probably know a little bit about Xavier Edwards. I'm a big dynasty fantasy baseball guy, so I've had yep. my eye on him. I've got I've had a share of him for the last couple of years now. 
And I love his potential, what he can do at the top of the order. You've been talking about guys that have the high on base percentage, the guys that are going to be table setters. He's, he was the best one in the system for me. Do you think he's going to thrive in Tampa? And what do you think of his fantasy value over the next couple of years? Listen, everybody throws like a, a Sean Figgins. Uh, cop that's, on the favorite, that's the favorite one, yeah. I see it all over the place. And that's great. I mean, you think back, Sean Figgins, just uh, when he was in his peak with the Angels, you know, from a fantasy perspective, yeah, sign me up. Uh, from a real baseball pa- uh, present, uh, place, sign me up. And it was one of those weird things, you know, having been a Tampa Bay fan uh, and following the organization for so long, it, it did not surprise me that this was the the prospect that they walked away with because they, they love these guys that play up the middle. Uh, and if you look at the organization, you, know, you try to figure out, like, okay, you got Vito Brujan, and you've got Wander Franco. You got you two awesome prospects up the middle. So what are you gonna do with Edwards again? Maybe Edwards becomes a center fielder uh, out of this. But they have this. They have this thing of picking up middle infield prospects, particularly on the shortstop side of things. Uh, and let's see what we can do with it. So it's yeah, you know, it's the type of athlete that they like. Um, it could give them four switch hitters uh, that are all kind of coming up together at the same time. Uh, it really becomes a crowded thing, but these things tend to work themselves out uh, within the organization. They're, like I said, if they can find another positional home, they like drafting guys at the top of the defensive spectrum and then moving them around as needed. Uh, you know, They say, if the arm doesn't play, we'll find another spot for you. Those types of things. So I'm pretty excited about him. If I was in an AL uh, you know, dynasty league or a deep keeper league where I can uh, sit on him for a little bit, uh, because the one difference here in the organizations is Tampa Bay will slow play just about every prospect. This is what they do. Uh, whereas San Diego, we saw them be more aggressive with, with guys last year. Uh, that just That's not typically the case with Tampa Bay. You're seeing that a lot more often with, with teams. I think no one, I think general managers are not afraid anymore to call up the 20 year old or the 21 year old, um, especially the first, the first time they get an excuse to do it. At least if the guy's performing well in the minors, if it's a pitcher, if it's a hitter, we're seeing guys come up early and earlier this year in, in the years um, recently. And I think that's been really good for the sport because we're getting to see the young prospects play at the major league level earlier. And it's, it's good for everybody. Um, and yeah, when guys I think come, it's going to come. Uh, sorry, step. I, I think part of it's going to come to the next round of the collective bargaining agreement because I, I really I'm not a fan of how teams can manipulate service time and stall. They got to yeah. come up with some kind of cleaner system that says, "Look, you draft a high school kid, you you have that high school kid, you have seven years, whatever happens, but after seven years." You got to keep him on the 40 or he's gone. You got to do something, right? But this whole when is the clock start and stalling guys, it's really annoying. And they got to come up with a cleaner system because you you think about a lot is being made of of minor league pay. I mean, the first concession that we've seen minor leaguers get is like this week when they finally said, we'll stop testing you for weed. It's like, yay, that's that's something that should have happened years ago. And it just happened. Uh, and yeah, kudos to the league to stepping up and testing for opioids now uh, because uh, of some of the issues that happened last year. But that's really like the first concession that's been made to minor leaguers. And it would be great if they could get to that money because they don't they don't get paid squat. Uh, the salaries are ridiculous. Uh, and if they could have a quicker path to a, a payday by changing the rules in this, I think it would be more beneficial for the sport. Because as, as you said, it's been great to see Juan Soto up you know, doing what he's doing before he could even drink a beer in the major leagues yeah, mm-hmm. and those types of things. Uh, whereas five years ago, you know, getting back to Chris Bryant, we had to sit around and wait for Chris Bryant um, to pass the Super 2 when everybody knew he was ready. Uh, and it was just it's stupid to watch the GMs go through these uh, uh, lingu- uh, linguistic gymnastics to uh, avoid saying what would get them in trouble. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. That service time clock, when you get drafted or when you get signed, 
um, that clock starts immediately. And I think that solves a lot of problems. That's a really good idea. I asked this to Kyle Glazer from Baseball America a couple months ago, I think. And I was, now that we're here, I was curious what your thoughts were. If you were starting a team today, who do you take first? Acuna, Soto, Tatis, or Vlad Jr.? Uh, I take Soto. I mean, it, I just love watching that kid hit. It's so – we will get into it a little bit later. We talk about some of these other uh, guys you have on the rundown. Uh, but for me, it's just the advanced approach that he has at the plate at his age is just mind-blowing to me. Uh, and, yeah, the athleticism uh, of Acuna and everything, but Soto's approach at the plate is just – he's like a much uh, must-see at bat for me. Uh, and it's it, – he he looks like a 28 to 29 year old veteran at the plate and he's just turned 21. It's mind blowing to me. It's mm-hmm. such a special talent. I'm surprised. I, honestly, like if, is this just really reactionary from everybody right now? Or is it, I don't know, is it something else? Because if Soto is not in the world series doing this and if Trent Grisham doesn't overrun a ball in right field, I think the narrative is pretty different with him. Uh, it could be. I mean, there there could be some recency bias, but I mean, this is an opinion I've had of Soto for quite some time. Uh, just oh, when you uh, watch the at bats, you're just like, wow! It just the the quality of the at bat, the the way his approach, and it, I think the the postseason just magnified some of that. The way he was able to just stare back at the pitcher, but like, all right, no problem, I got you. Yeah, it's just that's if you have watched him throughout the year. Um, plus, he's got the best nickname in baseball. I mean, Childish Bambino uh, that uh, uh, Craig Goldstein threw on him. Just awesome. Uh, all right. You know what? You, you convinced me. Uh, I don't think you're one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the bandwagoner guys. I, I trust you. Um, do you. Do you do Dynasty baseball at all, or are you just a seasonal guy? I'm just a seasonal guy. I do play in a keeper league, but I'm not in a Dynasty league. Uh, yeah, My buddy Ian Kahn, uh, who does the Dynasty stuff at Rotowire, uh, uh, you know, he has, he's been a dynasty guy for a long time. He's always tried to get me into one, but part of my problem is I'm trying to cut back on the m- number of leagues I'm in <laughs> because I think it holds me. Uh, I haven't won a league title in a while. And I think it's because I've spread myself too thin. So I'm really trying to focus on, I'm going to do tout wars. I- I'm going to do, uh, labor. I'm going to do, uh, the great fantasy baseball invitational. And then I have an AL and an NL home league because I like to hang out and talk baseball with guys here in North Carolina. Um, and so I've really been trying to keep it down to that. And he keeps like, Jay, Jay, come on, dynasty league, dynasty league. And my problem is if I get into one of those, uh, I'm either going to get way too involved in it and then I'll drop all the other leagues, uh, <laughs> which I don't want to do. Um, or I won't and The thing with dynasty leagues is you've got to give it your full attention. Uh, you've got to know that next guy coming up. You got to know who's just got drafted. And when something looks lopsided, he'll call me with some of these trades he makes. And I'm like, wow, that really seems lopsided, but I, I'm such an, uh, a yearly league dude uh, or a three-year lens. I'm not thinking that far down the line, but that's how these guys play. Yeah, I get that. And I'm, I've been really heavily involved in Dynasty Leagues the last couple of years. I play in one, and then I usually just do one seasonal league. But the Dynasty League kind of takes all my attention. That's the one that you get super into because I own minor leaguers. And um, it just uh, there's a lot more going on all season than just the the regular um, seasonal well, the leagues. Perpetual contact, the perpetual contact – the perpetual contract thing blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can keep it. And so like, even in my local leagues, it, it is the, uh, we have one where it's like the three year thing. And then you can extend maybe, maybe a fourth or fifth year. Uh, like I was able to in a year where my team fell apart in the first half, I traded for Aaron judge this year and I have him for two more years at $20. And that'd be great if he could stay healthy. Uh, but after that, he's gone. I, mean, I don't care how, what it, I, there's no way I can extend him. He has to go back in the pool. And I played in another league where it was three years. And that was it. You couldn't extend the guy mm-hmm. every three years. You, your roster flipped itself over. And so, you know, 
what gets stale though is like every year it seems like the same guys are available in the draft or the auction because especially in the auction format because it's the high price guys. Okay, I can't pay, I can't keep them at that price. We throw them back out and we're all bidding on the same guys every year. So uh, you know, it may be something. Maybe next year. I, I, this year I've, I've kind of made a, a plan on what I'm going to do, but I may pick up a dynasty league in season. Well, yeah, don't spread yourself too thin. Get a get a championship or two under your belt, and then maybe you can look at some dynasty. Would hope. <laughs> it would be nice to put another trophy up on the top, uh, on the uh, on the shelf. So I've been I've been thinking about Machado a lot lately. Third base has been super deep the last couple of years. All the best players seem like they're playing third base, um, and he hasn't performed that well. And it's either because um, oh the second half of last season he, he kind of seemed like he wasn't that interested. The team was out of it. Tatis was not playing. I'm I'm thinking there's some he's due for some big regression. You know, in the positive direction towards batting average, especially. And all the counting stats now that he has some better players around him. Where do you think T- Machado should go in drafts this year? I mean, so part of it, so fantasy wise, like my good friends, uh, Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf have a, a smart, they call it the smart system, the acronym. And one of the, and one of those letters in that talks about don't go grab guys in the first year of a massive contract because they never, uh, they fail, they they always fail to meet their expectations. And I think Machado was a great example of that last year. I mean, yeah, he did. He had already left Camden Yards and was playing uh, in, in Chavez Ravine. So you could see a little bit of how the park was going to impact. But, I mean, the, the Oriole days where he built up that reputation, some people may just overlook just how awesome that park is for right-handed pull hitters. Uh, and leaving Camden Yards and having to play uh, in Peco, which is not awesome for right-handed pull hitters, uh, obviously it impacted him. I mean, it, it would have impacted a little more had we not had the super happy, fun, bouncy baseball last year. Uh, I mean, yeah, he still hit 30 home runs last year, but what would have happened with a normal baseball? Uh, you look at the, the rest of the overall offensive production, uh, and there was a drop-off. He got to the 30 home runs, but struck out a lot more than he had um, in previous years on base percentage, fell for him, batting average fell for him. So uh, I'm curious to see what happens with him in 2020. I agree about, let's see what happens in year two, because you look at the quality of contact, uh, and it was working for him. And uh, again, it gets back to that first year, huge contract. He was the first $30 million man in baseball. And now he's barely in the top 12. Contract <laughs> already looks later. pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, 12 months later. I mean, he signed, he was the first $30 million guy, signed his contract February 11th. And now there are 12 guys in baseball making $30 million or more in the 2020 season. Eight of them are pitchers, by the way. Amazing. Uh, and so there's, there's Machado uh, making his money on that. But the quality of contact says everything's there. Uh, it's just a matter of, Let's see what happens in year two. Uh, you know, last year he was a sh- surefire lock first round pick. Uh, you don't need to spend a first round pick on him anymore. Uh, but I don't, you know, you're going to still have to pay. But you may get you may get like a three to five percent discount um, on his price this year, and which puts me right back into it. I mean, when you look at the when you look at the quality of playing time, the fact that he's been able to get 660 plus plate appearances in five consecutive seasons, that's huge. That's like it's almost like a 200 inning pitcher. Uh, these kind of rare birds um like this, this is what you want from him. Uh be nice if he ran a little bit more, but maybe those days are over. Uh but again, I think he's one of the guys that I could benefit strongly from having guys in front of him being on base more frequently than they were last year. Yeah, for sure. And if you're looking for value middle or, you know, third, fourth round, I think he's gonna be available there probably. 
Um, if you miss out on Arenado, you miss out on Brigman. That's that's a, not a bad consolation prize and a guy looking for a bounce back here. Um, we're in love with Mackenzie Gore over here as much as anyone can be in love with anyone. Uh, <laughs> past Ryan really wanted to get Hunter Green in that 2017 draft and future present Ryan is really happy that they didn't. Uh, if you're projecting Mackenzie Gore, let's say he's a, a starting in the starting rotation by the end of this year, which I think is still possible, even though he's super young still going into 2020 or 2021. Um, where do you think he fits in the rankings for starting pitching? Low. I mean, only because you could see him what it would remind me of it. Maybe it's a lazy comp because he's young. He's lefty, six, three and one ninety five. That like it screams Blake Snell is really what the whole. I'm not saying the quality of the stuff, but just at the profile there looks like. I mean, my concern with him is we're you know we're again we're talking about somebody who turns 21 in uh, right before spring training, but you know, workload like he threw 101 innings last year and he threw yeah. 60 before. So it's like you there's no magic formula that these organizations can use to keep these guys uh, safe. Uh, you know, as, as, you know, as the Rays got, as the Rays fan, you know, Brent Honeywell going down, nobody saw that one coming and, you know, because the Rays that usually had a really good for years, they had the lowest amount of Tommy John surgeries in the organization. And then everything caught up with them in the last 18 months and pitcher, 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 pitcher yeah. were going down with it. So there's no magic formula here. Uh, but with, with him, it's just a matter of, and what I, I mean, I do like that they gave Gore some exposure in double a last year. Uh, it, you know, I you said earlier for me with prospects, I start really paying attention when they get to double A and triple A. But I'm all I'm also uh, very observant and want and look for those guys who have the experience and the higher levels at a young age like this. Getting 21 innings, almost 22 innings as a 20 year old pitcher is a really good experience. It's statistically, it may you may look at like ah oh, whatever, but the fact that he had that time, even though it was five starts against double A hitters. Uh, is a nice building block for him. Uh, whereas you see some other guys may pile up a lot of uh, big stats, but they're 22-year-old pitchers pitching in A-ball. So it's like, eh, for me, a 20-year-old guy pitching in double-A, uh, impressive. And the fact that he was able to get the strikeouts that he was able to get over those five starts, that's what you want to see, and that's a nice building block. But trying to get into 2021 and and forecast where he's going to be as a starting pitcher, I mean, honestly, I keep him out of the top 100. He has the potential to be in the top 100, but often we draft, we find these shiny new toys. All oh, this kid that you, you watch him pitch maybe in late September of 2020 and he's blowing some guys away. And then he come, then he comes up the next year. And that's exactly what happened with Snell. I mean, if you think about Snell's first start, he comes out, I think he struck out 11 Yankees in five innings. And you're like, this was fantastic. And then he got sent back to triple a <laughs> uh, at the end of May, uh, end of April, or early May the next year. Cause he couldn't command the strike zone. Then he came back and was and was good, but he really he was the he was being drafted very highly, um, and the return on investment was terrible. And then he came back and won the Cy Young. So it's like we'll see what happens. And if you're impressed with Mackenzie Gore at the upper minors making double A as a 20 year old, Luis Patino has had to caught your eye already too. He's a 19 year old making a couple starts for double A and having actually more success than Mackenzie Gore. Is he a guy? Is he a guy you're keeping your eye on uh, as well? Uh, I am, but for a different reason. Uh, I do like him for that. I mean, for me, we knew he came into the season issues with lefties. Like, he needs something to get out lefties. And then this year, it really didn't show up. You look at his splits uh, for pitching, and, you know, righties hit a buck 63 off him. 
lefties hit 262. Uh, and then, you know, with the OP, you just look at OPS, 479 against righty, 751 against against the lefties. He's got to come up with an off-speed pitch or a cutter. It's just something he can use to keep the lefties, uh, keep them uncomfortable. Something that tails away or something that comes in on the hands. But if you're if you're a, if you have Patino in uh, a keep, that's what you got to watch for. It's like it because we're getting to the point in his development where if that pitch doesn't happen, then maybe he gets into relief because he's got the other, he's got the stuff to be a power reliever. But if he doesn't get that third pitch, doesn't get something to get lefties. This is how power relievers become relievers instead of starters because nobody. If you get drafted as a reliever uh, out of college or high school, it's because they just want to see what happens. You're an Oregon, right? They, they want everybody to be a starting pitcher. And then if you get hurt, you can't develop a third pitch. Your mechanics are too uh, high maintenance, and they worry about your durability. Then you become a reliever here. Um, so and I think a good example for Padres fans to think about that is with uh, Joey Lucchese. You look at him last year. Uh, go look at his times through the order penalty. He got blasted third time through the order. He was really good. I think he had a uh, 349 ERA and a 110 whip first two times through the order. And then his final numbers last year was a 418 ERA and a 130, a 122 whip. So that was the kind of difference that leaving him out there too long with that two-pitch approach that he used versus lefties and the two-pitch approach versus righties, that's what got him into trouble. So that's really what I want to see with Patino is uh, can he figure out that other pitch to get the lefties out? What do you, what would you do with guys who have trouble getting through the lineup three times? Um, I'm personally a six man rotation advocate, and I know that's not realistic for a lot of teams out there who maybe don't have the the depth in starting pitching to do that. Uh, we've seen the Rays be really experimental with having, you know, the opener and teams are using that now. I would kind of like to see Lucchese be a guy that maybe goes four innings and then you have another guy like him go another four innings and it becomes just a back-to-back long man day where you can extend uh, and save the bullpen maybe a, a whole day. What do you what would you do with a guy that can't get through the lineup a third time? Yeah, moving forward with the uh, with the three batter minimum, uh, I don't really think that impacts the opener that much because when you look at guys who were doing the opener, they were getting that anyhow. So might as well keep that. I think one of the things that you know fans will forget is bullpens. All teams have an A bullpen and a B bullpen. So let's let's say that Lucchese starting gets through the time, you know, 18 batters uh, and they're into the, uh, they're in, ideally they're into the sixth and his place in the lineup comes up, they yank him out for a pinch hitter, double switch. Hey, we're good to go. And then you're going to have, you have to uh, get through the equation where you've got uh, Strom, Pomeranz uh, and Yates. And I really like the Pomeranz signing in the bullpen. That's your A bullpen. And then the next day, let's say you're trailing. Well, you, you're not going to use your A bullpen. And maybe some of these guys aren't pitching back to back, especially if it's, especially if they're losing in the sixth inning, then you got to have your B bullpen, but you can't, you can't just think every day it's going to be this, 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 and this, uh, Six man, I haven't really thought of it as a six man rotation as much as, as really trying to keep a fresh arm uh, on the on the El Paso to San Diego shuttle. Uh, and you use a guy, you burn, you keep going. You got that forty man roster, and it's not like a guy has three options. It's not you can do whatever you want during the year. Yeah. Uh, is what use that to your advantage? And I think it's one of the ways Tampa Bay makes their thing work. Is that what they did? I mean that 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 Durham to Tampa Bay shuttle was a lot of frequent flyer miles for some of those pitchers, but that's how you make it work. You have to have that kind of a talent at your triple a team that you can just keep spinning these guys through changing gears just a little bit. I saw on Twitter fairly recently 
you had a really nice breakdown of the top five players in the batting order for the Astros and their home road splits versus, you know, fastball, breaking ball, off-speed pitches, and they're not, their numbers were actually better on the road. And I haven't been hearing any of that kind of talk um, since this whole cheating scandal started. Everybody's yep. initial reaction was, you know, rile up the angry villagers, get the torches in the pitchforks. Did we react too quickly to this whole Astros cheating scandal? I mean, this, I don't think so. I mean, it's rather obvious they were doing something. I mean, we yeah. can't even, we, that's, you know, that we know. Uh, what we don't know is what they were doing on the road because you got to think if you're cheating, anybody who's cheating in anything, you want to do more of it. So it's like, I can't, I think it takes a suspension of, uh, of, of belief to say, you know what? I could, I'll do it on my own on the road. You got to figure out something. Uh, now you got to be more, uh, you got to be more conniving on the road because it's not like you can just go up there and and have a feed hack. Maybe somebody's hacking into the the home camera feed uh, and and has that going. I don't know, but you know, clearly don't hear the bangs. But they have maybe they have something else. Uh, but. I don't think we're overreacting. Sometimes uh, some people uh, messaged me after that and said, hey, you, you were looking at a, a really big, uh, really big sample size. What if we just looked at specific uh, times? And I think some of the work that was done by uh, Rob Arthur and, and Ben Lindbergh, some of the follow up articles that really dove into the subject did a really nice job. I just woke up one morning. I was like, you know, I want to take a look at the numbers. Like, should we have seen this? Like, were the were the splits that drastic where this really should have stood out? And, you know. The, the early answer was no, they weren't. But then you got more granular, like Rob and Ben did, and then you could see, oh yeah, there's definitely something here. And then obviously the work that uh, John Boy did with just the audio uh, and, and really isolating some of those tracks so you could hear it. And the funny thing, I don't know about you, but the funny thing was once that was singled out, you're like, man, I remember watching some of those Astros broadcasts and like, what the hell is that noise? Like you thought it was maybe like in Cleveland, where it's the fan banging on the drum or in Oakland, same kind yeah. of thing. But I remember hearing that noise in Astros broadcast. Like, what the hell? Oh, now it now it all makes sense. So, so uh, bigger cheaters, Astros or the Patriots? <laughs> uh, even, even. Okay. I mean, I think there's probably more of a history with the Patriots. I with the Patriots. I think they're better at cheating. Like, you don't they get caught once in a while, but like recently, people have just kind of forgotten. Like, oh, there was the Bengals. You think they're really cheating? Yeah, that's the that's the genius of it. They're they're cheating against everyone equally. You ain't, um, cheating, you ain't trying. Exactly. Uh, there's a book out there like that, or like uh, college fans will tell you the SEC stands for son. Everybody cheats. Oh. <laughs> um, we'll get you out here on this. Uh, you recently also pointed out that Derek Jeter is probably going to get. There's my favorite topics: cheating and Derek Jeter. Uh, <laughs> Jeter is going to be a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer with a 72.4 R WAR, while Lou Whitaker, the great Tiger second baseman, had a 75.1 R WAR and is still not in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not even going to mention Barry Bonds, who's fourth all time in our war and is not in the Hall of Fame. What can be done, in your opinion, to fix these issues where guys who are clearly not who clearly are Hall of Fame worthy aren't getting in? And maybe guys who um, like this Veterans Committee, like are these things, uh, what would you change about the Hall of Fame voting process? Um, I would open it up. I mean, you got to have some kind of, you need to keep it fresh. I mean, it's like some people are, it's, it's like you have a seat out there and it's really tough to lose your seat. And I know they just implemented some of those rules where you have like had to write in the last 10 years. I know they made some recent changes, but it's been very protective. And then some people, and there's been no explanation. Like I've seen, uh, you know, speaking of Barry Bonds, Pedro Gomez saying, Hey, it's my ballot. No, I'm sorry. It's not your hall of fame. 
Yeah, it's yeah. like we all want to go, and it's just like you should have to explain yourself. And I think everybody should have to publicize their ballot. And you can't say, "Sorry, that's how I voted." Like, and it can't be just a one-column thing, and that's it. And uh, yeah, I know that the the hall is the hall has never really publicly criticized the process, but for me, it's like uh, you know, you could average Baseball Reference War and Fangraphs War and whatever. Yeah, Jeter's are going to come out ahead, but it's like there's people perceive the chasm between Derek Jeter and Lou Whitaker as this giant chasm when in fact it's not like if you would put Derek Jeter who's from Michigan and had him play in Detroit his entire career no way he's a first ballot guy but he's in he's in New York he's in that media market he's going to get that attention and Lou Whitaker suffered from playing in Detroit his entire career and those of us who grew up uh, you know I'm 47 those of us who grew up watching Lou Whitaker play know how great he was and know how awesome the Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker up the middle uh, double play combo was. Um, and to me, as one of these guys I've always felt was terribly underappreciated. Uh, same thing with with Dale Murphy. I mean, it's like growing up, I grew up in Houston. You know, as a kid, I hated when Dale Murphy came to the plate against the Astros because it seemed like he was killing the ball every time he was up there. He was the one guy that I feared in that Atlanta uh, lineup. But it's just like, how has he not got more attention? And I mean, kudos for Ted Simmons to getting in this time. But honestly, it's like not wasn't the guy. Dave Parker was one of the ones I was really watching uh, closely as well. So I would like to see it opened up a little bit. Uh, you know, perhaps some kind of like maybe the collective fan is worth five votes or something. But just see how the the difference between fans uh, and the writers uh, works out. But as we get more and more younger people in there where they have more of an open mind uh we're starting to see the results sway a little bit more uh, and progress it doesn't all happen at once but i would love to see baseball try to find a way to include the fans so it's if it's anything just to compare the difference between what the fans are doing i don't want to give the whole, like they do with the all-star game i hate that process that's ridiculous but i would <laughs> love to see the collective fan get a one percent voice in the hall of fame process just to see how they're how they compare to the writers. I was going to ask you if Jeter was on the Pirates, would he be a Hall of Famer? But you kind of stole the <laughs> you read my mind and went with the Tigers instead, which is just as good. Um, do you think if he doesn't dive into the stands unnecessarily, does he still make the Hall of Fame? That the backflips. I mean, not not to not to discredit. It. I mean, I I do love. I'll I do respect it. the fact. Yeah, I do respect the fact that he played with one team the entire career. It's such a rare thing. I mean, you yeah. saw it with Tony Gwynn, obviously, uh, but it's such a rare thing. And I always appreciate guys that do that. It's a lot easier to appreciate it when the team, the organization you play for, has got a ton of money and wants to throw it at you anyhow. Uh, but it is. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a he, perfect player for the market. He played the market really well, uh, and he shouldn't be unanimous. That will be ridiculous. If he's a unanimous Hall of Famer, that'll get me upset. If he's a first ballot, not going to be upset. But if he if he gets uh, unanimous, I mean, Mariano absolutely deserved it. But, man, I would be so, like, really, that's the guy you're going to give a, the second unanimous one? Is that guy? No, thanks. Yeah, we can be upset together when that happens. I they, don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I, oh, really? I really don't. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, just make sure one guy out there is on our team and doesn't put him on the ballot. Just one guy. That's all we need. <laughs> Jason, thank you so much. Hopefully we can get you back on during the season. Get some fantasy tips from you. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Jason Collette. Very easy to remember. Love the Twitter handle. Jason, are you working on anything right now that we need to keep an eye out for? So I've been doing a lot of stuff with the Rotowire Draft Magazine. Uh, so that will probably hit the shelves here in uh, early January. A lot of uh, I did, shoot, probably 100 and 
50 to 175 of the player capsules this year. And there's an annual article that I write for that about value in the scrap heap, where I go back and look at guys that were drafted for $5 or less in the, in the 15 team mixed tout wars auction and what kind of return on investment people got from that. Uh, and I always enjoyed that article because I try to put together a 23 man roster as cheaply as possible just like the Tampa Bay Rays do. So I'm, I'm there and I'm trying to get cheap. And like this year, I think I found the 23-man roster based on those auction prices that returned almost $400 of value. So it, those things are out there, especially in mixed league. And that's how you win a league. It's not drafting stars because the stars rarely return the investment you put into them uh, when you're buying or even if you associate dollar values to rounds in an auction. But it's that end game in that 15-team mixed format where you can put two dollars down on pete alonzo and watch him return 31 dollars, which is what he did last year uh in a 15 team mixed format that's how you win leagues it's not always about rookies sometimes it's you know last year uh i mentioned i tweeted uh, the trio of jake odorizzi lance lynn and, and jeff samarja i recommended those three last year in that same article all three went undrafted uh in tout wars and that's including the reserve rounds and yet they return $42 of value. So it's like th those types of things could happen. Recency bias always comes into play. We mentioned it earlier with Juan Soto, like everybody's talking about how great he is postseason. But guys that really took a dump on your roster, you really want to forget about them. And that's a mistake. It's a mistake that I see a lot of uh, immature fantasy players make. Uh, and there's a reason why the uh, the experienced guys are, are, the, uh, are the boomers, if you want to say, okay, boomer. You know, those dudes, there's a reason why they win leagues. Because they have short memories. Uh, and that's really the secret of being a good fantasy baseball player is having a short memory. Very cool. Awesome. Again, thank you, Jason, for coming on tonight. We'll talk to you again later in the season. All right. Thanks for having me on. All right. That was Jason Collette. Thank you again so much for coming on. Loved hearing what he has to say about the Padres minor leagues and a little fantasy perspective from uh, the prospects, which you don't hear a lot about. Wade, how hot am I? That's another win last week. I'm five and over my last five weeks. Target locked. You are. Locks of the week. I've been killing it. I've been as lock as you can be. Five and oh. You need to ride with me more. I don't know why you're not. You were you were all against my Titans pick last week. You hated the Titans. Tannehill's the real deal. He absolutely is. I love Tannehill. I love the Titans. Huge win last week. You had Seattle. Fell for the trap. You're now 0-2 over your last couple of weeks. Cold. So tell Very the people cold. tell the people what your pick is so they can lose. Ouch. Yeah. You deserve it. The Rams at Dallas, one point favorites. Take the Rams. Cowboys. It, it's one, not one and a half. It's one. Okay. As of Wednesday when we're giving these out. Uh Rams are hot. Cowboys suck. NFC East sucks. I don't hate it. Take the Rams. Although I went with you on Seattle last week and Lost a parlay because of so that. fade me then. <laughs> I'm just gonna stay away probably until you write the ship. I've got New England. I don't get this line at all. They're at Cincinnati. Uh, they're giving only ten points. They can't score. No, they can't. But they're playing Cincinnati, and they've been cheating all week, videotaping Cincinnati. I don't think there's any way this is a, a single digit game. There's there's no way Cincinnati's the worst team in the league. I think by far, although they've been playing a little better lately. I think New England is out for blood. I think they want to smash the next team they play. And luckily at Cincinnati, this this could be like a 20-point game easily. So I don't know why it's 10. Um, that Ravens line was like 16 and a half uh, for Thursday Night Football. I'm surprised this New England line isn't close to that. Probably just because New England's been playing poorly lately on the big stage. I still think this is... Is Dalton back? No. I still think this is easy money for New England. Minus 10. So take that. And I'm 5-0, and oh, so you should listen to me. 
All right. That's going to do it. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show's Twitter account at FireFarmHands. And if you enjoy the show, subscribe. Run all your favorite platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeart, basically anywhere you get podcasts. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave your comments, questions, concerns, and your rating of the show on all platforms. You've been listening to the Believe and Padres Prospects Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. For Wade, I'm Ryan. Check you guys next week. I didn't want fish. Just move on toward your destination. Though you may find from time to time. Keep talking to the mic more. You're like pretty far from the mic. Wow. Just stretch it over. Just like stretch it to you. Like pull it from up here, not the. That's what she's Pull. This janky Ikea fucking microphone. I'm going to go do this. Is yours better? <laughs> we'll start that whole thing over again. Just start the whole episode over. God damn it. Hiring is challenging, and it used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. Zip Recruiter. In fact, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you cannot miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners here can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.